All right, good morning again. Uh, Gino and Kelly are in Montana. They're at Calvary Chapel of the Bitterroot Valley leading worship there this morning. They had a concert uh, last night there. They're having a great time uh, in Montana. A uh, couple, of, couple of down things. Uh, you know, they were shown some real, uh, you're from California hospitality. Uh, so, luckily, it's a rental car, but somebody keyed their car while they were asleep. And uh, that's, that's why you, that's why Hertz exists, I guess, you know. So anyway, and, uh, and then this morning he told me, he texted me and he said at, at breakfast, somebody said to him, these are real pancakes, not like the kind you get in San Francisco. <laughs> it took me about an hour to figure that out. I think I've got it worked out, and I, I, see me at the door afterwards if you don't, and I'll tell you what I think, what I think that means. Uh, so anyway, pray for them on their, their trip back, and, and it's cool that we were able to send uh, them out and... Uh, they're a blessing to the church there. The church there is pastored by my friend Dale Lewis, who was at Calvary Chapel in Merced. He went to Hamilton, Montana to take over a church that was uh, in a time of division and struggle uh, and has built it back up. And it's a really great ministry that they've got going there. Uh, let's see, it's, oh, they're done now because they're an hour ahead. They're on some kind of crazy mountain time, you know, and stuff. So not California time. But uh, anyway, I don't think they'll be moving there anytime soon for those of you who you know, and thought that they might. But uh, anyway, open your Bibles now to Acts chapter 9. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the New Testament book of Acts. We find ourselves in chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 10 through 22, Lord willing. The topic, Jesus tells Ananias that Saul is his chosen vessel. The title of our message, On Vessel Assignment for God. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said... Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength 
and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we thank you for these words, and we appreciate them, Lord, because they're able to reveal Jesus to us. Risen from the dead, ministering to us from heaven in the power and by the strength of the Holy Spirit, going from heart to heart, reminding us of your love. We ask that as we listen, Lord, we would be listening for that still small voice from within, the Spirit of God prompting and urging us to see your love and grace, your mercy and forgiveness in the lives of these saints that have gone before us and in our lives as well. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Bob Euchre was a mediocre Major League Baseball player for the Braves, Cardinals, and Phillies. He was a career 200 hitter. He became much better known after his playing years were over as a comedian, poking fun at his own undistinguished career. When asked what he considers the highlight of his baseball career, he says, in 1967 with St. Louis, I walked with the bases loaded to drive in the winning run in an inter-squad game in spring training. I think that a lot of Christians put themselves in the category of Bob Euchre when it comes to their walk with the Lord. We don't have a lot of spiritual career highlights. Ananias, therefore, might encourage you. He steps onto the scene, prays for Saul, then disappears. He may have had other great spiritual highlights, but as far as we know, this might be the spiritual highlight of his Christian career. Saul goes on to have a career filled with highlights. His every day is a highlight reel when it comes to Saul, who would be later known as the Apostle Paul. Every day, some new and amazing episode. We can learn from both men. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, Jesus sees you as a vessel he can choose. And number two, Jesus sees you as a vessel he has chosen. First of all, in verses 10 through 17, Jesus sees you as a vessel he can choose. On his way to persecute Christians in Damascus, Saul met the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. The encounter left him temporarily blinded. Enter Ananias in verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Ananias is described as a certain disciple. Now, for whatever reason, this word certain got my attention. I want to be careful because I'm obviously no language scholar, but the real scholars whose books I read describe the word certain as, and I quote, an enclictic indefinite pronoun. If you know what that means, you're smart. It seems to mean a certain one among some or any that Jesus could have chosen from. And so the idea is that the Lord could have chosen from any number of Damascus disciples. There were many at his disposal. For whatever reason or reasons, he called upon Ananias. Maybe you don't have a distinguished spiritual career. Maybe you have no career highlights. That's not the point. You are his certain disciple. The question really is, can the Lord call upon you if he so chooses? Are you going to be available to him? 
There are three things you're going to need to settle in order to be available should the Lord call upon you as his certain disciple for some special assignment. We see the first two right here in verse 10. First, you need to have some expectation of what we might call the supernatural. The Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision. There's no explanation. It doesn't seem to uh, alarm Ananias or concern him. It doesn't scare him or freak him out. It seems that visions were a common occurrence. In fact, a lot of supernatural phenomena were common to this first church. And as we go through the book of Acts, we've seen that. I've commented many times on how modern commentators are quick to try and squash any supernatural occurrences, uh, you know, today. Yeah, these guys, they were, you know, they needed the supernatural. They had to have God speaking to them in these ways because, you know, they just didn't have all of the resource in the Bible that we have. We don't need any of that is what the common thinking is. Taking nothing away from the completion of the Word of God, God still wants to speak to us by the still small voice of His Spirit. He's able to give us words of prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. He can reveal Himself in waking visions if He so chooses. The idea isn't the particular way that God reveals Himself, but the fact that He still does and that we would not think that a strange thing. I think we sometimes miss out on assignments the Lord has for us because we're not really expecting Him to call upon us, and we're therefore not developing any sense of hearing His voice or following His leading in our lives. A second thing we see here, very obvious, Ananias immediately responded with words a servant would use. The Lord called to him, and he said, here I am, Lord. He was reporting for duty. They are words of report. They are words of surrender. You and I need to be ready to say, here I am, Lord. For lots of reasons, we are sometimes unprepared for an assignment. We're not keeping ourselves sharp and on call. I've used this analogy before, but it's a good one. Some of you have jobs or careers or situations in which you are occasionally on call. They give you the phone or they give you the pager or they expect you to be within the proximity of of your own telephone. And should they call you, you need to be able to respond in a certain period of time. And so that's not the morning you get up and decide to go over to the coast or up to the Sierra uh, because you have to be close to home in case the call comes in for you. As a Christian, spiritually speaking, we are always on call. We never turn our spiritual cell phones off. Oh, I thought I'd throw that in. But, uh, you know, so we're, and, and yet I think sometimes we have this idea that, well, I serve the Lord, I'm in church, this is my ministry, this is when I'm doing that. The rest of the time, I'm really just kind of on my own with the Lord, obviously, He's walking with me, and, you know, I'm a, I don't quit being a Christian, but I'm not really anticipating that the Lord is going to call me to do anything. I did that on Sunday. I taught Sunday school, I preached a message, whatever it was, I do that on Sunday, on Wednesday night, and we lose a sense that uh, those meetings and that service is just to encourage us to be ready for the 24-7 experience of the Lord maybe choosing us as His certain disciple to give us a special assignment. 
And so we want to keep ourselves sharp and on call. And so in verse 11, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Jesus gave Ananias a rather detailed itinerary. He told Ananias exactly what was going to occur. He doesn't always reveal so much information. In fact, I'd say normally the Lord only gives you the next step and asks you to just walk by faith. Whether you get a lot of information or a little information, you'll get the information that you need. And we are to just act on that uh, and move forward and trust that the Lord has told us everything we need to know or will tell us more when we need to know it. You know, there's a saying we use that, you know, you need, it's a need-to-know basis. And uh, I'm the kind of person, I like to keep myself in a place where I don't need to know. And I only want to know what I need to know. Every, there are people who want to know everything, but as far as a Christian, you're on a need-to-know basis, and the Lord gives you what you need to know, sometimes a lot of detail, sometimes a little. I'm thankful many times that he's given so little detail because I can think of episodes in my life where if I had all the details, I wouldn't have gone, uh, you know, because you don't have a context for what it is that the Lord is really doing. You're not the same person by the time you get to where he's bringing you, and so he really can't reveal a lot of detail to you. But in this case, he gave Ananias a great deal to think about, and Ananias in verse 13 answered, Lord... I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now, I'm not quite ready to label this as doubt or fear. I don't know if we have enough information. Uh, I mean, I, I would assume it's, it's, it's fearful because uh, Saul had come to destroy the church, and now God is sending Ananias into that kind of cage fight with, you know, Saul. I mean, and, and uh, it may be fear, but I don't think, you know, we don't get a sense of whether it's fear or not. We just don't know. It could be just clarification that Ananias wants. If it is doubt or fear, then it is encouraging to me because I see that the Lord understands our doubts and our fears, and we can discuss them with him. What the Lord gets a little bit unhappy with and what the angels get really cranky with is disbelief. Uh, you know, when, when the Lord either himself or through an angel comes and says, this is what's going to happen, and the person disbelieves it, you know, that, that's a different story. But if you just have a, you know, a doubt, we're just human. Of course we have doubts. Of course we have fears. There's that part of us which is spiritual and fearless and knows that you can't be killed until God is through with you and that he knows your last breath. And then there's that part of us that, that doesn't like to go through suffering and, and is a little bit concerned about what that's really going to be like. And I think the Lord understands all that, and, and at least he did for Ananias because in verse 15, he doesn't rebuke him. He just clarifies and says, go... For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
And this is really gentle on the Lord's part. He doesn't rebuke Ananias. He says, I'm going to give you more, in fact, information than you even need to know. And as far as Saul, he's not going to hurt you. In fact, he's going to have a lot of suffering in his life. And really, he's revealing to Ananias uh, something he may not have known, and that is that Saul had gotten saved. And at this point, I think Ananias is probably pretty excited about this. We get excited still about famous people who get saved, and even more so, infamous people who hate Christians. I mean, if you heard that certain people got saved, you'd think, wow, that's fantastic. Sometimes you hear that somebody claims to be a Christian, you think, no way is that person a Christian because of their antagonism towards biblical Christianity. And so, Ananias is, you know, he's just a simple believer. He's stepped onto the scene, and now the Lord's told him, I want you to, I've got an assignment for you, and Saul of Tarshish, hey, I saved him. And he's probably pretty excited. Here in these verses, Saul's professional and personal future is summarized. He's going to go about proclaiming the risen Christ, but along the way, he'll suffer many things. Most of the book of Acts from this point on is an expansion of these verses. It's going to center around the person and work of Christ through the Apostle Paul, Saul, who is also the Apostle Paul. And then verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did the Lord initially tell Ananias that Saul was also going to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, not in the version we have. He may have told uh, Ananias this, and the words were not recorded by Luke. He may have told Ananias more than we know. But I thought that it was just as likely that Ananias assumed that Saul would be filled. Jesus had told Ananias that Saul would go forth preaching about him, to Gentiles, kings, and Jews. Every first-century believer knew that this kind of preaching, any kind of preaching, could only be done by a person filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the point made over and over and over again in Acts until you're really tired of hearing it. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, power from on high to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. And so, if Ananias hears, Saul is going to be a witness to me, to kings and Gentiles and Jews, then he assumes that Paul is going to have to receive this baptism with the Holy Spirit. And notice it isn't the being filled with the Spirit that comes from filling yourself with the Word of God. Saul was a brand new believer. He didn't really have time to fill himself with the Word of God. This is what we call the baptism with the Spirit, sometimes used interchangeably with the filling of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit coming upon Saul to empower him, giving him a boldness to be able to preach and serve the Lord. And that brings us to the third thing that you and I need to be available for a special assignment. We need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, or if you don't believe there is such an experience subsequent to salvation, or if you have been baptized with the Spirit, but now somehow think you can serve the Lord in your own wisdom and strength, then you're really not going to be getting too many assignments to serve Him because we 
we need to serve him by the Spirit, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the living God. Like Ananias, you and I are certain disciples. At any moment, the Lord could choose us for a special assignment. We need to be expecting him to do it. We need to keep ourselves ready for it, and we must be familiar with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish it. Simple and yet necessary. Secondly, Jesus also sees you as a vessel he has chosen. You and I are not Saul. Our lives may not ever be a Christian highlight reel. We may not yet even have anything we'd consider a highlight. We are nevertheless to have an understanding that Jesus has chosen us, not just that he might choose us one time or from time to time to do something spiritual. He has chosen us overall. Each of us is a chosen vessel of his, and I appreciate the fact that the Lord uses that terminology speaking of Saul. He's my chosen vessel. The analogy of the vessels in Scripture is that there is a great house and in it, many different kinds of vessels. And so the, the church of God is a great house, and in it, many kinds of vessels, and the vessels are you and I. Think of your own house for a moment. You have glasses and dishes. You have Tupperware and Pyrex. There are vessels made of porcelain and plastic and various metals. They each serve different purposes. Some are used every day, and they show the signs of wear. Some are used infrequently. Some are on display. They never get used. But all of them are vessels that you have chosen and are in your house and at your disposal. For his own reasons and to his own glory, Jesus chose Saul as a vessel that he would use in a very dramatic way. Saul was one of those vessels used every day. It led to excessive wear on Saul. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Saul wrote, and this is from 1 Corinthians 4.13, he says, we have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things. Now, this, these words filth and off-scouring refer to the stuff you scrape off a pan after you're done cooking. Saul saw himself as the everyday cook pan in the household of God. And as such, he was constantly in the fire, and he needed a lot of maintenance. We have at our house uh, something we call the cauldron. And uh, it was given to us by some Cuban friends of ours. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a cauldron. It's a, you know, kind of a big fry pan, I guess. And, and you, can just, you just cook everything in there. It's just, you know, I mean, why have this $5 million set of, te you know, Teflon stuff? We just have the cauldron. And uh, so we cook stuff, and it's delicious stuff. I mean, just, you know, I make a sofrito rice in there that's to die for, and Pam cooks her uh, a rose con pollo in there. I mean, it's just, man, it's fantastic. We use it pretty much every day. Uh, one time, uh, one person who has access to our cauldron, not myself or Pam, but another person who will remain nameless, was <laughs> cooking in the cauldron and put it in the oven. You know, sometimes you cook something, put it in to bake, you know, didn't realize that it had a cheap plastic handle, and so it melted, you know, and so now I've replaced the cheap plastic handle with, I think, the, a gigantic wooden knob from a, 
a closet or something, you know? And I mean, so the thing, I mean, if you came into our house, I mean, it's the ugliest thing in our house, this cauldron. Uh, you know, it's, it's scraped and scratched and burnt, you know, and it, it's not coated with anything. And so every time you're done cooking, you got to scrape the thing and, you know, and, and, and get that off scouring off of it. And, and it's a very useful tool, a very useful vessel. But our house is full of vessels. I mean, we have all kinds of other things. Some are used on a pretty daily basis. Others, once in a while. Then we have a bunch of stuff that is never used. It's just on a shelf. It's collecting dust. We dust it all the time. But it's beautiful, you know? And, and, and so that's the, that's the picture that the Lord gives us of his household and of vessels of you and I in that household. Paul was a cauldron. Uh, for whatever reason, God said, I'm going to use you every day, and you're going to have off-scouring and filth, and you're going to be in the fire, and handles are going to break off and, and stuff, but you're going to be useful in that way. And um, some people are just not that kind of vessel. They're used occasionally, uh, or you know, they seem to even be, and not in a bad way, but on the shelf. Uh, and that's unto the Lord. And so let's take a look at Saul as God's chosen vessel. Go back to verses 15 and 16 for a moment. It's, the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I think the Lord's statement is applicable with some editing to each of his chosen vessels. I guess the point I'm making is this. You are a chosen vessel every bit as much as Saul or Peter or even a Billy Graham. The kind of vessel you are is not up to you to decide. You're the Lord's. You're in his house and therefore at his disposal. And so let's say you're a wife and mom. I think the Lord would say to you, you are a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before your husband and children and your neighbors and in your church. It only seems less glorious because we judge things from a human standpoint. Your service is always unto the Lord. It's a matter of being faithful to what he has chosen for you. Saul's assignment would require a great deal of suffering. I can understand that because of the nature of his work. I'm still trying to work out why some ordinary Christians suffer more than others. I don't think we'll know until we look into the face of the Lord at his reward seat. Then in verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And so Saul was saved on the road to Damascus. He was healed uh, and received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, uh, and then he arose and went out and was water baptized. Scales falling from his eyes, I see that as being literal. Some people think it's figurative, like, you know, to give you an idea of what happened, but I think it's literal. Although he could now see, it's possible he had some permanent damage. When he wrote to the Galatians in a very early letter of his, he made a remark that indicated that he had some sort of an ongoing eye problem. What he really says is that when he was in Galatia, they would have given him their eyes if they could. That's an odd, weird thing to say. It's the kind of thing you'd say if somebody had eye trouble. You know, I wish I could give you my eyes so that you didn't have this eye trouble. And so uh, it's possible that Paul's eye trouble, Saul's eye trouble, stemmed from this episode on the road to Damascus when his eyes were covered with these weird scales. Uh, 
If so, every moment of his Christian life, he had a reminder that he was once spiritually blind, headed in a completely contrary direction to what the Lord had for him. And in that sense, his suffering worked for him a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Every time he dabbed his eyes, he probably had weepy, oozy eyes that, because in another place he says he wasn't very good to look upon. And, uh, you know, I mean, you guys, you know, you have a dynamic, handsome pastor, but, uh, you know, if you were in the first century, everybody wants to be in the first century church. I mean, these guys were weird looking. I mean, Paul said he was weird. I probably droopy eyes and, you know, dabbing his eyes. And he's, he's, he said he's ugly, and I mean, he meant it. You know, he wasn't being just self-deprecating. He's an ugly guy. And so be thankful. <laughs> Although I have noticed I'm getting uglier as time goes on, so. Anyway, I really think that's why your eyes go bad so you don't, and, but now we have glasses, and so you, you know, it's terrible. But anyway, uh, so he had this ongoing problem, and, and it was a, a precious reminder to him of who he had been and how the Lord had arrested him and apprehended him, he'll say in one point in his writings, and, and, and I, I'm sure he gave glory to God for it. And so in verse 19, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So he's physically strengthened by food, spiritually strengthened by fellowship. Food and fellowship, throwing a little bit of fun, doesn't get any better than that. This is the Christian life, food, fun, and fellowship. Verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And all who heard were amazed and said, isn't this the one who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, the Jews met weekly in the synagogues, and there were many synagogues in Damascus. What you have to remember is that these first Christians, for the most part, were Jews, and when they got saved, they continued in many of their Jewish uh, customs and traditions, like going to the synagogue. Plus, there was a built-in group of people who could be evangelized. They already knew the Scripture. They just didn't know it was about Jesus. And so Saul would certainly attend synagogue and be asked to deliver a message. Instead of declaring Jesus Christ dead and Christians heretics who needed to be persecuted, he began to prove from the Scriptures that Jesus was the promised Jewish Messiah and the Savior of the world. Notice the word immediately. Saul was used immediately not because of his previous training or upbringing or intellect. He was used immediately because he had been filled with and baptized with God the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about it as the book of Acts unfolds. Yes, Saul, who would be Paul, had a unique background uh, growing up, you know, a Jew with all the greatest Hebrew teaching, also being a Roman citizen and having the Greek culture and all of these things. God used all of that, his Roman citizenship and all. But it wasn't that God looked down on and said, you know, we're, we're just hurting here for an evangelist that can go to the Gentiles. I don't know, what, what are we going to do? And uh, Gabriel says, ah, there's this guy, Saul, I think he, you know, let's save him. 
and he'll accomplish that. And it wasn't that at all. It was that God saved him and, 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 and used his background and, and brought that into play. When Saul talked about his own background, he said, man, it is a pile of garbage. I don't want to think at all about where I came from. <laughs> Big deal. I sat under the feet of Gamaliel, the great Jewish teacher. That guy, he's an idiot compared to the Holy Spirit. So what? I'm a Roman citizen. I'm a citizen of heaven. And I mean, every step of the way, Saul would tell you that all of that was rubbish and refuse and garbage. And so the, the reason he was used isn't, you know, I, here's the thing. When famous people get saved, sure, they can give their testimony, but they need to, it's not because they're famous and that God has to have them in order to get other people saved. Not at all. And so we want to be careful sometimes. A lot of famous people have supposedly come to Christ and been thrust into the Christian limelight only to months or years later totally recant and say, I, I was never a Christian. That was just a phase I was going through and things like that. And so we want to be careful about that kind of thing. Saul was used immediately because he was saved and baptized with God the Holy Spirit. He would go on to have a notable Christian career. In fact, Bible commentators can't help but describe him as the greatest Christian of all time. Is he or are you? In the end, it will be you and Jesus face to face. You won't have to go through the Paul the Apostle Hall of Fame to get to the reward seat of Jesus Christ. The Lord's not going to take you and show you, this is where my you know, my son Saul was, was stoned to death and I brought him back to life. Over here is where he wrestled with, you know, Satan in, in Ephesus. And so. it, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be you and the Lord. You won't be judged by his accomplishments. In fact, you won't even really be judged by your accomplishments. You're going to be judged, according to the Scripture, by your faithfulness. What did God ask you to do? So let's get back to my house and the cauldron. So you've got this cauldron that we use all the time, and then we have, you know, uh, maybe a porcelain pitcher. It sits on the shelf. Occasionally, maybe a flower or something goes in it. You know, but for the most part, it's just there for decoration. I'm not going to judge that pitcher as to how well it could cook my sofrito rice because I didn't choose it to cook my sofrito rice. I, you know, Pam would think I've lost my mind if I, you know, in fact, we had these, you know, have an, uh, we have an electric uh, stove or range, and uh, we cover the burners, you know, and, and I had these uh, really beautiful porcelain burner covers, and, and sure enough, I turned off the wrong, turned on and turned off the wrong burner, and, uh, about a half hour later, we heard this boom, this explosion in the kitchen, you know. And I went in there, and I couldn't see anything. Well, eventually, I got back to the range, uh, stovetop, and uh, the heat had just exploded and, and cracked this, you know, uh, burner cover. And so now we have metal burner covers, which are not as beautiful, but are more functional and stuff. So, so, you know, different things have different functions. And so I'm not going to, you know, if I was, if it was judgment day for my utensils, 
You know, it's finally come, you know. They've been waiting all this time for the coming of the master. And if I come home after church and I say, it's here, the imminent return of Gene is here. And I'm going to, I'm going to this is it, it's judgment day for the, for the vessels in my house. I'm going to come to the cauldron and I'm going to say, well done, thou good and faithful cauldron. I had many, many, many good meals out of you. That, in fact, that last arose con oh, man, enter into the joy of, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then when I get down that pitcher, I'm not going to say, you useless pitcher. When did I ever put sofrito rice in you and you cook it? Never. Depart from me, you wicked pitcher for I never knew you. No, I'm, I'm going to look at the picture and I'm going to have a completely different point of view, a completely different reference. Picture, you were so beautiful sitting on the shelf. I, I could always count on you during the spring to hold those beautiful flowers. And every spring when I got you down and, and I, in fact, I apologized that there were spiders in you, you know, because I didn't get to clean you as often as I would. And then when I put you in the center of the table and there you would give the, the you know, the added display to those flowers. I mean, what am I, you can't just throw flowers on your table, you know. It doesn't really work. I mean, you've got to have them in this. Well done, pitcher. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I have salt and pepper shakers that I've never used. I have a lot of stuff I've never used. Now King's Christian Thrift Store has a lot of stuff I never use. But, you know, that's not the point. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, this, I am the master of that house, and I didn't buy some of that stuff to cook with. And I'm not going to judge it according to how I cooked with it or how, how well it, it handled in that situation. Like it or not, you're a chosen vessel. And, and, and it's not your choosing. Some of you are cauldrons. Some of you are pitchers. Some of you are unused salt shakers, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, there's a sense in which overall God has chosen. And I'm exaggerating. Even though you're not Paul the Apostle, God does use you every day. He uses you in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church. Uh, you know, I mean, there is a, a definite calling on your life and a gifting that you'll be able to look back on. And then he's also able to use you uh, for what I call vessel assignments, you know, with that play on words, so, uh, you know, it's, it, where, hey, this is what I want you to do right now. You are a chosen vessel on vessel assignment for Jesus. Within your regular daily assignment, you need to expect the supernatural, keep yourself ready to respond, and then be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See what the Lord might want to do with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. They're precious. I pray that we would hide them in our heart, uh, Lord, so that we'd be reminded of them from time to time. Lord, if, if life is anything, it's discouraging, and the Christian life is no exception. Though there is a joy in the Lord, the joy of our salvation, the joy of the Holy Spirit, there is a discouragement and a even a depression that creeps into our lives, Lord, from time to time. Uh, it's, it's part of just being human, and we're sad about it. We wish it didn't happen, but it does. And, Lord, uh, there's so many vessels that seem to be of greater honor. Uh, they're all around us, Lord, and, and, and it, it, it has a tendency to bring us down. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we would understand that we are your chosen vessel 
by your choosing. You saved us when you did, where you did, how you did, for the purpose in which you did. And that we would keep that our focus and let you uh, and not be concerned about others, Lord, just be concerned about ourselves. That you would increase our joy. Lord, whether we're a pitcher or a cauldron, that we would be ready to say, here am I. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand. Some of the guys will be down here this morning to uh, pray with you. As we've gone through the book of Acts, we've uh, talked about this baptism with the Spirit many times, and we saw a few weeks ago how occasionally, uh, you know, God brought it into a person's life by the laying on of hands, either of an apostle or just a uh, typical believer. And so if you're here this morning, you're still struggling with, hey, I don't know if I've ever really been empowered by God, given a boldness to serve Him. Uh, come on down and the guys will pray for you for that. Maybe you have some other physical need or you want to uh, join in prayer for someone else or for something else uh, while uh, we're closing and after the service do that. Ushers, uh, we're going to be here in about noon. We'll meet here in the sanctuary, uh, so be back for that. And um, the Lord doesn't come back Wednesday morning the men are going to meet in the cafe for a time of devotion Matthew chapter 7 630 to 715 Wednesday night service this is the last Wednesday of June I'm pretty sure uh, if I'm counting right and that means we'll be having our worship and communion service followed by our afterglow and so plan on being with us on Wednesday as well if you can God bless you amen